Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, yeah, my name is Adam. Welcome to any visitors. Uh, those that uh, we haven't met yet, great to see you this Good Friday morning. Uh, please leave your Bibles open at John 19, and there is an outline on the back of your service sheet as well, which might be of some help to you. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. So, won't you join me, please? Our loving Father, we pray that as we come to your word, you would speak to us by your spirit. Show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. Help us to see our great need for him. Uh, and lead us, Father, in the way of repentance and faith in your son. Uh, we pray this all to your glory and praise. Amen. Uh, I used to uh, lead an annual... Uh, youth camp out in the central west and uh, I was abseiling one day with a, a bunch of, of young fellas and, and there was this beautiful sapling, you know what a sapling is, a, a little tree growing out of uh, what seemed to be moss on a rock ledge, it was a miracle and a little way down, uh, that's where it parked itself, uh, can you hear the waterfall, can you see the, the mist rising it was serene, it was quiet, it was absolutely spectacular. And it was delicate and fragile. Uh, how this lovely tree managed to grow and thrive had us all amazed. And it just added to the wonder of God's creation all around us. Well, right up until one lad decided it was in his way. So he grabbed it. He ripped it out and he tossed it into the gorge. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? When something precious and beautiful just gets wasted. And it can happen with nature. It can happen with nations. Just think of Zimbabwe, uh, one of the most visually spectacular and economically prosperous in Africa. Well, that's just become... Uh, uh, a house of horror. Uh, it can happen to cities like Sarajevo, or it can even happen to French cathedrals, as we followed the news this week. And, more importantly, it can happen to people. We open the paper and we read about the latest child neglect case. Or some, someone's missing. Some are starved. Some are abused. Some are bullied. And we're reminded of the waste, the barbarity, the pain, the cruelty and the selfishness. It's a terrible thing when a beautiful life is laid to waste. And that's what we find here in John's Gospel. Jesus' life was the most beautiful life there is. John 1 describes the most beautiful life there has ever been. In verse 14, it says his life was full of grace and truth, chapter 1. And then in verse 9, it describes Jesus as being the true light that has come into the world. And what did humanity do with that most beautiful life the world has ever seen? What did humanity do with that beautiful life? Well, we're told in chapter 19... Verse 18, you can see those three words. They crucified him. The most beautiful life ended 
in the most despicable, ugly and evil way. Now there are two things I want you to see particularly this morning about the crucifixion. The first is that Jesus was crucified as a criminal, uh, verse 16. Verse 16, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and uh, with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Now, do you see the irony as Pilate hands him over? Do you see the words, the soldiers took charge of Jesus? And here's the irony. This is the same Jesus that we were introduced to in chapter 1. The reality is that these soldiers actually have no authority over Jesus. It is Jesus that willingly allows himself to be treated this way. And so can you imagine the self-restraint? Even if you uh, imagine Gethsemane, a legion of angels could have been called at any time. Yet Jesus Christ submits to this treatment. And why? Why does Jesus willingly do this? Well, doesn't it show the enormity of our sin? My sin, your sin, the world's sin, the corrupt state of our hearts. How great the debt of sin and your sin, my sin, must be if the spotless Son of God has to suffer like this in order to pay the debt of sin and set us free from its bondage. How great. The sinfulness of sin that took Jesus to this awful death. Sin is serious. Sin is expensive. Sin mucks up my life. And when I muck up my life, I'm mucking up everyone else's life around me. It's not just an individual thing. It has consequences for those around me and it impacts my community. And so sin cuts me off from God and it sends me to an eternity without God. And it takes Jesus, this appalling death, to pay for sin. Here is the other why of the cross. Here is the why. It is the wonder of God's love for me. That he would send his son to die. We know the hymn, don't we? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, God demonstrates his own love in this. That whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is all of his love, such as our need. Note verse 18. We're told that Jesus died uh, between two others, two other sinners. And this is what Isaiah prophesied, isn't it? That Jesus will be numbered among the transgressors. And here he is, the Son of God, dying a criminal's death between to others, just as the prophet said. And we know how this rolls in Luke's gospel. We know that one criminal hates Jesus, don't we? He mocks him and he treats him like a slave. 
And he says, hey, Jesus, why don't you save yourself? And while you're at it, why don't you save us? And then the other criminal says, dude, don't you fear God? What are you saying? We deserve what we are getting, but not this bloke. That's the interchange. And isn't this the key to seeing our own sinfulness? That when we see Jesus, how great is my own sinfulness? Because isn't this the experience? See, he says he doesn't blame his upbringing. He doesn't play the victim card. The criminal says, you know, I did it. I was wrong. I'm responsible for this and I deserve this. But the guy in the middle, no, not him. What are you talking about, mate? And then the amazing words of the criminal where he says, Jesus, hear the confidence. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so as the criminal hangs on the cross, can you see him hang the weight of his sin, his soul and his eternity onto Jesus himself? And here's an application for us. As we think of Jesus dying and the criminal's death, is have you done that? Have you done that? Have you done that with your sin? Have you asked Jesus to bear it? I've mentioned before about a friend who lived well into her 90s. And she sat under some very good Bible teachers, but in her own words... She said, no, Adam, I'm not a lawbreaker. She believed that she was without sin. Churchgoer all her life. And so because she believed that she was without sin, she did not rest her soul on what Christ has done for her. Which brings us to the contrast of these three criminals. Because we see the first criminal knows that Jesus alone can deal with his future because only Jesus can deal with his past. And that's the issue. He trusts Jesus for his future because only Jesus can deal with his past. And that criminal who died there that day, well, he's told by Jesus what? Jesus says to him, mate, today, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. And the other criminal, well, he's not told that. He's not told that. And the implication for the other criminal is that he went to, went to pay for his sins in hell. And the cross stands today in the middle, dividing humanity. You can be sure in every congregation, sadly, in every street, in every town and every city, that when a person dies, either they rest their soul on Christ's sin-bearing death on the cross and they go to heaven or they don't. As Jesus is crucified as, the, as a criminal, as the worst of sinners, he had to be treated like that to take our place as a substitute. And we as Christian believers see Jesus go to the cross and don't we say, Lord Jesus, you must go. Please, Lord Jesus, go. Or I will have to pay for my sin myself. Lord Jesus, go to the cross for me, please. 
For we cannot afford the price. We cannot afford the cost of the alternative. It's not easy talking about the alternative, is it? But no one spoke more about hell than Jesus. And in his love, he invites us to bypass hell and to rest our souls with our sin-bearing Saviour. Just like that criminal did. Jesus was crucified as a criminal. See also that Jesus is crucified as a king. Verse 19. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. See his true identity broadcast throughout the world. His kingship is communicated in three different languages with the sign King of the Jews. And why did Pilate do it this way? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But the nature of the pronouncement is entirely consistent with the kingship of Jesus. So if we remember when Jesus were, were born, we remember those, those wise men, don't we? And, and they rocked up. And they looked for the one born king of the Jews. And they said, hey, where's your king? We've come to worship him. And then Palm Sunday, only six days earlier, the crowd shout, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus himself confesses the same thing as he stands before Pilate. See chapter 18, verse 37. They're having an interchange, a bit of argy-bargy. And Jesus says, You say I'm a king, in fact, for this reason I was born. And on he goes. But of course, we don't need Pilate to attest to the kingship of Jesus. Look at verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot. Who will get it? And this happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for, for my garment. And so this is what the soldiers did. Those verses are written a thousand years before. A thousand years before, in the psalm that we've just read out, verse 18, it says that God's suffering king would die in this way. Verse 16 of Psalm 22, again we read this, said, A band of evil men have encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. This is called prophecy. You know, can you imagine if I said to you in 2040, uh, the NRL grand final, these teams will play, and this is where, and this will be the score. And can you imagine if it happened exactly as I said it would happen, with all that detail, this is what's taking place. This is incredible prophecy being realised. Isaiah 41, we are told that if you are God, you, you must have a hand on history. And we see here God's hand on history. As God installs his king. And he does that because he has a hold on history. God is 
orchestrating this entire horrible scene. Can we see that? And we know it comes out wonderfully at the end, but see what the soldiers did. They did exactly what Psalm 22 said they would do. It's very powerful to have your enemies doing your bidding whilst also acting against you. That's great power. And the enemies of God are doing God's bidding while acting against him. And that is why this is the sovereign Lord. And this is why Jesus is king. See his power and majesty rising up out of the pages. And what kind of coronation do we see as Jesus is enthroned on the cross? Well, we see the enthronement of the servant king. Foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. We see the king that laid aside some clothes to wash feet in chapter 13. And now we see him laying all his clothes aside to serve us, naked and dying to bring us to God. The one who is the Lord of creation, the one who is the creator of all things, naked on a cross, crucified. He laid it all down. He made himself absolutely nothing. He took on the nature of a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he did it willingly. He comes to die a criminal's death, this king. He chooses humanity. He chooses to go to Jerusalem. He chose the cross. He chose to bear our sin. He chose to pay our ransom. He chose to humble himself. He chose to put aside self-interest. He chose, above all, love. And he chose to love you and me as our servant king. And see his love in in concrete, uh, earthly terms, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Can you see that in... Even in this moment, this world history-defining moment, those around Jesus are not forgotten by their Saviour. He's not going to leave this world until he's made provision for his mum. As he hangs on the cross, he prays in another gospel for his murderers, Father, forgive them. He speaks to his fellow criminal and he says, Today in paradise, mate, I'll be with you. And now in verse 26, he cares for his mother. He sees love and his tenderness and compassion. And so here again is the monumental question for us today. Have you asked Jesus to serve you as he dies for you naked on the cross? Have you done that? Have you said yes Yes, I am a sinner. Please go to the cross for me, Lord Jesus. For unless you have, unless you've asked Jesus to do that, can I say the goodness of Good Friday is probably 
lost on you. And here's another question. Can you see the huge challenge this is to us as believers? Jesus gives us every reason in the world to trust him. We have a servant king who calls us to follow in his footsteps. Our default position in our lives is self-seeking glory and ease and comfort. Our default position is autonomy because I'm the king of me. Yet I am presented with a king, my king, who says, no way, Dracon, that's not how it rolls. Lay down your life in service for God and for others. And as believers, we have to choose. Each day we have to choose who we will serve. And will we serve ourselves? Or will we give ourselves to the service of others and service to God as our King has and does and did? Mark 10.45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so are we prepared to follow where our King has led the way. Amen.